to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them five other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two, and on and on. So we see here every Christian is to be a steward of God's property, God's goods. Number three, stewardship. What is it then? Stewardship is the management of the affairs of another. In Genesis 39, Joseph became the steward of of everything in Potiphar's house. Everything in Potiphar's house was under Joseph's management. Joseph was a good steward, but he did not own anything himself. He just had the great job. My wife has a cousin. I was talking to him at the last family reunion last year, I think it was, and and uh, uh, I was talking to his dad at first, her uncle, and then I was talking to him about it. But what happened is somewhere in the St. Louis area is where they live. And uh, this young man has been doing yard work for a company and, and uh, just taking care of yards and nice homes and things like that. Well, one older man uh, got to know uh, Wilma's cousin and uh, said, hey, listen, I have a proposition for you. Why don't you quit your job and just work for me? And you can just work for me, you know, five days a week take care. And so that's all he does now is he just takes care of that man's property, just takes care of the yard inside, outside, all the details, all the organization. It is a cushy job, but he owns nothing, but he manages everything. That's what a stewardship is. A steward is the management of the affairs of another. So it goes without saying, you don't get that kind of a job unless you can be trusted to be honest and to be responsible And then as I've already had you look it up, it is required in stewards that they are faithful. You can't mow the lawn when you feel like it. It's got to be on a schedule. You can't just do things once in a while. It has to be faithful. A steward is to be faithful. And number five, every good gift, according to James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift is from, and you might say God, but the biblical answer is from above from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so we need to get the picture here that we own nothing. And if you are, if you, if you start to take possession of something, and that's only natural that we would think that, for instance, my kids, but who gave me my kids, right? And my stuff and my car. All right. Now we had a president recently who said, you didn't do that. The government helped you do it. Well, that's because that president doesn't believe in God, and for him, God is government, all right? And, of course, we take exception to that. You didn't build that. The government gave it to you, blah, blah, blah. That's the attitude that they have. See, that's the godless, atheistic uh, attitude that is out there that permeates society and, and the evolutionary teaching that has been in our schools for decades. However... We should recognize that you didn't build that. God gave it to you. Not the government, but God gave it to you. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. You and I are just stewards of what God has given. I have no right to dictate where my children, quote unquote, my children are going to live or where they're going to be. I have no right to dictate uh, everything. No, I have to recognize it's God 
that does that. And God is the owner. I'm just the manager. It's my job to just be a good manager of what he has given me to do. I started to read in Matthew chapter 25 about how that some were given five talents, some were two, and how that they weren't given equal talents. We'll talk about that in a minute. But let me ask you this. First Peter chapter four, first Peter chapter four and verse number 10. First Peter 4, 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what are you doing with your gifts? They're not really yours just to do what you want to do with them. What are you doing with what God's given you? If he's not only given you this certain job, but he's given you some specific gifts to be able to do the job, what are you doing with it? So back in Matthew 25, we can see the first part of the chapter, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. So you got five that were wise and five were foolish. Five thought ahead, planned ahead, were prudent. And I was teaching on Wednesday night about being prudent. They were prudent enough to recognize you need to have oil. You're going to run out and then you won't be ready. So number one, our time. What are you doing with your time? Psalm 90 and verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I hate to break it to you, but you're running out of time. And some of you are running out seems to be faster than others. And I don't mean to be morbid or pessimistic, but you aren't going to maintain the life you've had on this earth forever. And some, not even for very much longer. What have you been doing with your time? So teach us to number our... Now, of course, especially if you're younger, it's like, I have no idea when I'm going to die. Well, I don't either. I mean, it could be tomorrow. It could be, you know, 50 years from now. However, what am I doing to, to apply our hearts unto wisdom, to, to number our days, to not waste the time? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, there's a, a man that I met years ago. He said, I used to, when I first got saved, I, I used to get a little grumpy about the fact that, that, um, uh, that there was teaching about tithing and how that we should, we should give a tithe. And I'm getting ahead of myself in, in this lesson here. Uh, he said, until I realized that, you know, I used to go to Vegas and blow money and never get mad at God for that. And now God just has something that he would have me to do. And I get all, and, and the same thing with time. The time that I've wasted, 
Bible says in James chapter four, verse 14. So we need to redeem the time. We need to, we need to kind of catch up with the time we wasted. In, in James four fourteen, we were in James a little bit ago. It says that your life is like a vapor. At the end of this week, you can go out and test this verse. When it's a high of three outside, you can go out and go, and you can just, your life's like a vapor. And um, I was with Lois Larson on Thursday. It was our Bible study day, and Lois Larson and the other ladies were there, and the flowers came in, and it was her 98th birthday. 98. I remember when we celebrated her 90th. Didn't seem that long ago, but I guess it was eight years ago. Uh, And, you know, she'll tell you, along with some others in this room, it is like a vapor. It's just gone quickly. It goes faster than you think it would go. What are you doing with your time? Then 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Second Timothy 2 and verse 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You just get, can't get yourself entangled with the affairs of this life. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12 says, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. In other words, not all things are necessarily a good thing to get in, involved in. And so as a Christian, I have to say, what should I be doing with my time? Now, that doesn't mean we can never have any fun. It doesn't mean that we can never have any R&R. In fact, that is a good use of your time sometimes. And Jesus even said to the disciples, come ye apart and rest a while. Come apart before you come apart. There's, there is need for that. My father went to the, the University of Washington and then he transferred to Washington State. And tomorrow night, the University of Washington is playing in the national championship. I actually have kind of just followed the scores and they've had an undefeated season. Now, I'll just be honest. Tomorrow, I'm going to have a little r and I'm going to sit next to my dad and I'm going to watch the Washington Huskies beat the Michigan Wolverines. All right? What are you looking at me for? Hopefully. Uh, the, the point is this, that's R&R. That, 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 is, that is not the most, you know, godly use of time. But I don't think it's a waste of time as long as it wasn't interfering with something else I should be doing. And as long as I've, I don't just spend all day wasting time, but I get things done tomorrow as I should. But there, there are times when we can relax, however, there's a lot of time wasters out there. And, and someone said this, and I wrote it down, and I have it just etched in my mind now. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. In other words, if he can't get you to sin and do wicked things that are just, what he'll do then is to try to create something that will occupy the time you should be using for something else. And that's what's happened to a lot of I don't. I don't think the majority of folks in Custer County are just evil. But I do believe that the majority of Custer County is not using their time wisely as God would have us to use it on a regular basis. This is why we hand out calendars, not just for the Bible reading, but for the fact that we ought to know what day it is. 
we ought to know what we're doing. I, I have to have a wall calendar. I got to have all 12 months. And, and when it's October, I got to see what's going on because there's already stuff written. I want to make sure that we're not wasting time and that we're using our time wisely. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts into wisdom. And, um, and then Hebrews 10.25, I can quote this one. It says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Some folks have gotten so, so attached and entangled with other things that they can't even make time for church. I heard an 80-year-old man say this two nights ago at Hope. He said, when I was a kid, everybody went to church. Now, the church we went to wasn't really a good church necessarily, but at least it was tradition that everybody went to church. We, we, are, we are letting the devil fool us into robbing our time. And as we talk about this today, and we talk about, we're going to talk about treasures and talents and things like that, and some of us will say, hey, I don't have what they have. You're right. Some of us in here don't have what other people have. But all of us in here have 24 hours a day. That doesn't mean that all of us are supposed to do the same thing with the 24 hours. But all of us have 24 hours. And so we need to recognize, what does God want me to do with those 24 hours? We, uh, we had a fun time last Sunday night. And some stayed here past midnight. And, and that's fine. But in the old days... We used to do these overnights with the young people. And I thought to myself, especially after I realized that some teenagers stay up all night and then they were expected to be doing stuff the next day, but, but they can't even think straight because they stayed up all night. And I realized, you know, that's probably not really conveying the right thinking here because God made us to sleep at night. And some of us waste time by just staying up too late. And you'll see it once in a while. You'll see a child come here, a young, a young person come in here, sometimes a young adult to come in here, and they're sleeping through the whole service. Why? Because they were wasting their time when they should be using it for sleeping. There's just so many things we could apply to this time thing. But it's, it's, it's what God's given you. He's given you time. You say, but pastor, I don't have time. Guess whose fault that is? Guess who tied on stuff to rob you of your time? I always think of the washing machine. The washing machine was invented to save time. It hasn't done a very good job. Now, it does, I mean, I'll be honest. I, my wife was gone last week, thankful for the washing machine. But instead of time savers, we have to spend so much time to make money to pay for the time saver. And there's just some things that really, you know, I have a smartphone. I mean, you, you, you kind of have to keep up with the times. But I'm not paying a 1000 bucks for a phone. I don't need one that bad. Maybe you do. Maybe that is a requirement in your job. But I, I don't need the, you know, they upgrade or whatever it is. I don't even know. I honestly don't even know what version I have versus what's out there today. But there are so many things that are time robbers. We need to watch out because we're supposed to be good stewards of our time. And we're going to give answer to God for that. Are we wasting time? My smartphone has this thing on it at the end of the week that shows me how many hours I was on it. 
and uh, that's a good thing to take a look at once in a while. Our time. Then secondly, our talents. And again, in Matthew chapter 25, we read about that already in verse 14 and following where it says that the Lord handed to his, his stewards, his servants, talents, five for one, two for another, and one for another. And, uh, and then left and said, do something with it and I'll be back. Now, the word talent in that passage is literally money, some kind of metal. But it's interesting that it's spelled just like the word we use for gifts. You know, they're very talented. And so I like to use a play on words here. Our talents, recognizing the gifts that God has given you. We read 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 in, in about being good stewards and being faithful. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, it says, what have you that you have not received? And if you've received it, why do you act like you didn't receive it? What does that mean? Why do you act like you did it when the truth is you received it? Now, some of us in here have biceps. Some of us in here used to have biceps. Some of us have never had biceps. But if you have biceps, you exercised your muscles and they, they grew. And you put in the time and those muscles grew. But the truth is, no matter how much time you put into that, you still have to recognize God gave you the biceps. I know somebody in here, they're, they're part of their bicep just tore right off of their shoulder. God gives us those muscles. What we do with those muscles is what we do. But if you, if you get proud of your biceps, you need to realize you never, you and nobody else that you can think of has ever created a bicep except for God. And talents are something that we recognize really came from God. The Lord's the one that distributed them in the first place. All of us are not equal in this, and that's okay. He gave five to one, he gave two to another. And you know what? If you read that passage in Matthew 25, he did not hold the one that had two and made other two to the same accountability as the one that had five and made another five. In other words, they were just supposed to do with what they had you might so be so non-talented in here that you can't even boil water. But whatever God has given you, that's what he's expecting from you. Now, I happen to know that everybody in here can do better than just boil water. There's some in here that can paint or draw. There's some in here that would never want to stand up in public and make one speech in public, but they are amazing in what they can do with their hands. There are, there are folks in here who have been given great gifts. In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him doeth it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And, and what it's saying here is, is as a church, we are gifted with different individuals that have different gifts. And we have a deacon election coming up and there were nominations and some said, hey, 
I appreciate the nomination, but I don't believe I'm supposed to be a, an official deacon. And I said to that person, but just keep doing what you're doing because you are an unofficial, wonderful servant of the Lord, deacon. That's what the word means, deacon. It means servant. So when it says ministry, it's not talking about a minister with a suit and tie on. It's talking about serving. That's what the word means. And when we serve and we do and we play our position, what a blessing we are to others around us. 1 Corinthians 12 says the same thing. It talks about how that one is the hand, one is the foot, one is the eye, one is the ear. And the ear should not be more proud of itself than the eye, and the eye should not be more proud of itself than the foot because they all play a different role in the body, 1 Corinthians 12. But as they play a different, as members are different, and we certainly have some different members, but they still play a role as different as they may seem. And as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, there might be some parts that aren't very comely. In other words, most of us have our toes, our hairy toes, covered up with socks and shoes. And we know, I mean, honest, I, I just don't give any thought to your toes and you don't give any thought to mine. Unless I see you hobbling in here because your toe's not working today. And sometimes we just don't recognize important members until they stop doing what they're doing. Speaking of football, the offensive linemen don't ever get a whole lot of credit. But you don't win games without the offensive linemen. And the same thing with church and with life. We need to recognize those individual gifts and talents. What are you doing with yours? What are you doing with it? Philippians 1.6 is one of my favorite verses. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can have the confidence of knowing that what God starts, he'll finish. And God started something in you and he has a plan. In other words, God don't make no junk. God never saved anybody and then said, oh my goodness, what I save him for? He's a waste. It's not true. God don't make no junk. And you might say, Pastor, I don't have the talent of a flea. You might not think so, but God don't make no junk. There's a purpose for why you exist, and there's a purpose and a role for you to play. And then Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. If God has called you, then God has a plan to use you. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Knowing God as I know him, I'm not at all surprised that he would call to preach my son who has never had great speaking ability, whose lips get in, his, in the way of his, of his speech, and who had a stroke when he was a year old. But you know what? God doesn't necessarily need what we think is the most talented. It's interesting how that God doesn't need the talented as much as we think he needs the talented. See, we need the talented. If you are running some kind of entertainment center called, that you call church, you need talented people to keep it entertaining. But if God's really the focus, we don't need to overemphasize the talent. On the other hand, what has he given you to do? I hope there's no one in here today 
or in our church membership that is really good at playing the piano. But you don't want to tell anybody. Why? Don't you want to use your talent? I hope there's nobody in our church that's really good at something or whatever, but look, if God's given it to you, use it for his honor and glory. There's plenty of people out there in the world who are not using their talents for God. We know that. Let's use it for God's glory. I appreciate the lady who taught my wife drawing. My wife's not an artist, but she's pretty good at copying and sketching. And the lady that taught her used to work for Walt Disney, and she became a Christian, and and, and uh, she was teaching her and my wife and other ladies in, in class. And that's just a neat thing, the time of the talents. Now, number three, our testimony. Let her see our testimony. Our testimony, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You're salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Our testimony, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says something very similar to that. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. A good name is better than than precious ointment, a good testimony, a good reputation. But then Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1 says this, Ecclesiastes 10 verse 1, dead flies cause the ointment in the, of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Someone said you, you can build a reputation in a lifetime and destroy it in five minutes because of a decision that you made that was like dead flies getting in the ointment. Our testimony, we have to guard our time. We have to make sure our talents aren't occupied by things that, that, that don't matter. And we need to guard our testimony. Our testimony to the world. Satan wants to destroy this so badly. He does not want us to be a light that shines. Our testimony we had that news team come in here last Saturday or Sunday afternoon and, and interviewed some of our folks. And I'm so thankful for that. That was fun. That was neat. But now there's a testimony that Satan wants to attack and wants to destroy to try to put dead flies in the perfume so that it stinks instead of being honorable. So we must be good stewards of our testimony. Philippians chapter 2 Again, reminds us of that when Philippians chapter 2, it says in verse 15, Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We got to be shining lights. We're not perfect. But you know, when we're not perfect, when we mess up, let's just be honest and let's just confess it. That will be a testimony. You know, if we say, hey, you know, I blew it, I, I messed up, I'm wrong. It's not a testimony when you cover it up or you're dishonest or you pretend like it, there was no problem. Our testimony is something we have to be a good steward of. That's why sometimes it's important that we just decide, I'm just not going to do that, not necessarily because it's a sin, but it might appear 
to be a sin. The Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. I just want to be careful that I maintain a good testimony for, for more than one reason, but one of the reasons is this. I was taught that I just should be careful not to be around the opposite gender by myself. Should not be traveling with the opposite gender by myself. Why? Because there can always be some sort of an accusation that cannot be uh, refuted. And, and, and we have politicians now that are laughed at when they try to carry that policy. But our testimony should be something that we think about and we're, and we're using wisdom on and we're being, we're being good about. Um, in less than a month, we have two young people that are going to stand before us all and going to say, I do, and they're going to make vows and to, toward one another. But they have needed to maintain a testimony. And it's a great opportunity, and I did this when my daughter got married, to say to everyone in the room, hey, this is a testimony of how to come to the wedding altar correctly and not marriage is kind of the after effect, the afterthought. But marriage is the beginning of the honeymoon, the beginning of life together. First Peter 3.15 says this, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. You know, there are times I was in Rapid City more than once this week and there are times where I, I get out of the car and it's like grab a tract you never know you're going to talk to somebody go into a certain store and there's a guy from Newcastle that that my wife knew his wife years ago and boom sure enough he's in there and and we get to talking and, and I said hey I've got something for you we need to always be ready because how many of us were not ready when there was a question asked or there was a time and an opportunity we need to be ready. That means we need to keep reading our Bible and studying. And the more we're sticking with the word, the more we're going to be ready. So what are you doing with your gifts? What good is it to study the Bible if you aren't going to use it? What good is it to go to church and learn something like this if you aren't going to apply it? So we need to be ready. That's the purpose of what we're, what we're doing, to be ready to give an answer. And so we look at these four T's today. We've got time, our time. What are you doing with your time? Our talents, what are we doing with our talents? Our testimony, what have we been doing with our testimony? Dragging it through the mud or using it for the Lord? And then lastly, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, our fourth T concerning stewardship. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18, it says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Our treasures, our treasures. It is he that hath given thee power to get wealth. What are you doing with your treasures? Now, I, I realize some of you are going to say, Pastor, treasures, what's that? Never heard of it. No, every one of us have a treasure. We have something that's valuable. We have treasures. What are we doing with it? And again, God does not care how much we plop down into his offering plate. He's interested in percentages. When the widow had two mites and all the others were dropping in their offering, Jesus said to his disciples, you see that widow with the two mites? The two mites, it's, the value is so so." 
insignificant. He said that widow with her two mites that nobody even cared just gave more than all the rest of these. What? How do you say? Because I happen to know that's all she had. None of these others gave all they had. See, God thinks differently than we do. God gets a blessing out of two mites where no one else would. Our treasures. Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. God will bless you if you'll put him first. Malachi 3 talks about tithes and offerings. Matthew 6 talks about lay up treasures in heaven, not on the earth. Matthew 26 also talks about treasures and what we do. It's about the, the young woman that brought her alabaster's box that was very expensive and broke it and, and then used it at his feet and anointed him. That was, that was a year's wages, they said. She gave him a year's wages in that one moment. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8 says, Sow sparingly and you'll reap sparingly, but you sow bountifully and you'll reap bountifully. Luke 6, 38 says, Give and it shall be given to you. Press down, running over, will men give back to you. When you give God your treasures, it's amazing how you have more. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5, it says that they gave of themselves first. The secret to giving your treasure is to recognize that it's you. God wants you. Just, it's almost like taking the offering plate, putting it on the floor, and then stepping inside of it and standing in it. That's what God really wants. He wants you. If he has you, he'll have everything. And the Bible says, don't you know your body is, is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You're redeemed by him. He owns you and I. We belong to him. That's why. That's why it's right for me to tell you that your calendar should be according to his will. It's my calendar. No, your body is him. If you're saved, he owns you. If you're saved, it really isn't your body. It's his. My kids, if you're saved, it's the kids he's, he's given you, the children he's blessed you with. My talents, it's the talents he's bestowed upon you. My testimony, my treasure, it's what he's given you. Owners have rights. So give yourself first. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. He's the owner. That's why we call him Lord. Landlord means he owns the land. He is the Lord, so he's the one that has the rights. Stewards have responsibility. What are we doing with our time? It's a new year. It's a new year. What are you going to do in 2024? that's more in tune with what he'd have you to do. I promise you at the end of 2024, if you'll think of him as being the owner and you the steward, it'll change the way your 2024 turns out. You might not have more, but you'll be more happy. You might not have more in this or that, or people might not notice, but you'll be blessed in ways that people can't see. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. What kind of a steward are you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to teach and to preach and to go over some things that are just good for us. And thank you that someone brought this up. Someone asked this question the other night about stewardship. Help us to learn that, that a lot of our problem is just the time that we waste. Help us to learn that a lot of the problem is the, is the talent that we spend time on that's not the right place to spend it on. Help us to realize that maybe our treasures wasted instead of treasures invested wisely. Lord, help us to recognize the testimony that Satan wants to ruin. 
and help us to be good stewards of what you own, what you've given us to manage, and help us to manage it well. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.